We're seeing a picture this morning of a Christ, a Savior, a servant Savior, who isn't just a God of power. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at different illustrations or different stories that have revealed the power of God, that have revealed the authority of God, that He's sovereign over circumstances we faced and we need to trust Him. That He has dominant authority over sin and Satan. We need to rely on Him for victory. We need to not fear. And today, in the, in the series of stories that Mark again presents to us, we see the power of Christ, but Mark intentionally puts them together to show us the compassion of Christ. And so today we see a compassionate, powerful Savior. You can't have one without the other. And, and Rick, we saw your compassion your heart for the lost, for your family, but as a father, the authority. And in a a small microcosm, that's a wonderful picture of Jesus and, and expanding our idea of who Jesus is because Mark is answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And He's both a God of power and a God of compassion. And it's important that we see both because so many times we look at the life of Christ and as we study the life of Christ and we're focusing on the deity of Christ, we see Him as an all-powerful God. And He is. Absolutely He is. But the problem is, is we begin to associate power with something you stand off from. The, the word that is used, that Mark uses in this text that we'll see for power is dunamis, which is where we get dynamite. And as you know with dynamite, you probably don't light it and hold it. That's bad. We get an example of that tomorrow as you all buy, f- buy fireworks from the fireworks stand. And, and what do you do when you're setting them off? I don't know about you, but we tend to ask our children not to, to look it down in them as they go off. That would make us bad parents. And so we step back because it's power, but then we associate that with Christ and with God and we think, Power, we stand back, and, and there is an aspect of awe and reverence, but we're going to see with Christ there was always an aspect of compassion, of come close. And in God, we see the only example of, of power, true, incredible power that we are asked to draw close to, to come close to, to draw near to. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. As we look at our compassionate, powerful Savior. In the heading there, see as we look through the different stories, as Jesus shows power and compassion as He confronts death and disease. Jesus shows power and compassion as He confronts death and disease. We should not despair. In fact, in these stories, we're going to see Jesus confronting human despair. And if you think about despair, the words that should come to mind is hopelessness, helplessness, the things that we lose heart out of. It would be like being out in the middle of the ocean on a sinking boat alone without a life jacket. The feelings that would come would be feelings of despair. I see no way out. And that's where Jesus comes when He begins to discuss disease and His his victory over disease and death, those things in our own body that we really have no control over, even though we want to think we do, and can lead to despair. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. 
One other note as we come to these, these stories in 21 to the end of the chapter 43, we see another example of a, a, the sandwich technique that Mark is using. And that's not just to get you hungry for lunch later, but literally he intertwines two stories. And he starts one, jumps to another, and then comes back to the first. And whenever he does that, you know that the two stories are actually one story. And he's using one story to explain the other. So we'll look at it in the order that it's in God's Word, that the Holy Spirit revealed it. Verse 21, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about Him, and He was beside the sea. So if you remember where we were, it was in the, in the evening after a long day of teaching, they crossed the sea. In the middle of the sea, they come to the storm. And, and the disciples panic, and, and we see Jesus calming the storm. Then they finally get over to the other side and Legion, the demoniac, comes and confronts him and we see Jesus and his authority over sin and Satan and he casts out the demon. Remember what the townspeople did? Could you leave? You cost us a lot of money with the whole pig thing. Could you leave? And so Jesus said, okay. And he leaves the man as his missionary doing the work of God in an incredible act of obedience. And Jesus leaves and comes back across the other side. We're still in the same story sequence when we pick it up. So they come back, probably back to Capernaum or that area. Then came, so the great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Soon as he gets back, the crowds begin to gather again. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now understand Jairus here is a powerful man. He's the head of the synagogue, probably a wealthy man of great stature in the community part of the group that really hates Jesus at this point. And he comes. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And that's significant. An act of humbling himself, this leader falling at the feet of Jesus, recognizing his power, recognizing his authority. 23 and implored him earnestly or begged him with all his heart, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And in this first sequence, we see that Jesus hears Jairus' request and goes with him. Jesus hears Jairus' request and goes with him. And, and those two words are important because he hears, he listens, he cares. Even though we don't see a response here, a verbal response, the response is he goes with him. And in the middle of heartache, and I can only imagine the heartache if it was my little girl, and I knew she was going to die soon, and I was begging, going to, to the teacher, the rabbi that I knew could heal people, and I'm begging for the life of my daughter. Understand the emotion and the, the passion that this man has. And he's begging for the life of his daughter. And Jesus goes with him. Jesus goes with him. And I think of a couple things. Number one, the crisis drove him to his knees. The crisis drove him to his knees. What does it take to drive us to our knees? I pray it doesn't take my family in peril. But I'm willing to go to my knees daily. Willing to go to my knees together. 
But the other aspect of that is Jesus is in the middle of crowds. He's been through all this overnight. And he says, I'll come. I'll come. And there are times in our lives where we are at the moment of despair and we don't see any hope. And we come to Christ and we beg earnestly. And he comes. And we're going to find out as the story progresses, he may not come in the way that we think he should, but he always comes. And we need to take heart in that. The bottom of each of the sections, I have a little table there with power on one side and compassion on the other because those are the two themes of this entire passage. Power. We saw that with Jairus at his feet pleading with him and Jairus recognizing the authority and power of Jesus Christ. But compassion. We see Jesus cares enough to stop what he's doing and to show up, to go. We read on. And this is where we hit the next story. And so, so he starts to go and the crowd is around and he, there's a sense of urgency because Jairus' daughter is at death's door. And we come to the second half of verse 24 on. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Think for a minute of, of this woman and the contrast between Jairus and the woman. Jairus, man of authority, um, high in society, highly viewed, rich. The woman comes. And the woman has a discharge of blood, probably from the womb or the uterus, that is constant. And it's something that has been, been tried to treat for 12 years. She's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. How has that worked out? Did you catch what it said? It's not that they did no harm and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so each time that they, that she would try to get help, it would get worse. It says that she spent all that she had. So now she's poor. One of the things about this kind of discharge is it made you ceremonially unclean. Very similar to what we talked about with a leper. And so this woman, we have to understand the, the scope here. She is an outcast. She is rejected. She's not allowed to go in the synagogue. She's not allowed to worship in that way. She's not allowed for people to touch her. Her family can't be with her anymore. And it's been 12 years. And she has done everything in her own power to deal with it. Perhaps some despair. Perhaps. The fact that she's even in the crowd, the fact that she would touch the rabbi, that she would touch Jesus is unthinkable. One author, Garland, called her walking pollution. And that's about what they would have thought of her. Completely opposite of Jairus. Reading on. So in verse 27, she, she gets through the crowd. She's determined. She touches his garment because one of the beliefs at the time was that if you had a holy person and, and you could touch their garment or get in their shadow, you'd be healed. For she said, if I touch even, verse 28, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Power. Immediately. Just the touch. 
And Jesus honors her seed of faith. It was a childlike, embryonic faith, misguided, but He's going to correct that. But He honors it because she believed Jesus could resolve her situation. And He did. One other note, just to make sure we don't read this wrong. It wasn't a magic robe that healed her. If you jump down to verse 34, and He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. What is happening here is God the Father, God Almighty, is watching the situation and sees her faith and sees her act. And through Jesus, He heals her with authority and with power as He sovereignly can. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in Himself that power had gone out from Him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched My garments? And catch the disciples' response. So people are pressing in all around, and, and He stops. Who touched Me? Who touched Me? And what's the disciples' response? And the disciples said to Him, You see the crowd around you, and yet you say, Who touched Me? And that's sort of the tone. It's, it's a little bit of chiding. It's a little bit like, come on, really? Really? You're going to stop and ask who touched me? Don't you realize that we, all, we have a task here? Why are you even stopping? There's a little girl that's going to die if you don't get there. Let's go! And the disciples still need to grow in their faith. And they still need to grow in their understanding of who this man, this God-man is that is teaching them. And he, being Jesus, in verse 32, looked around to see who had done it. See, Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a purpose, as God always does. And the disciples' lack of having all the facts is what made them challenge the purpose. The lack of understanding that God has a purpose and what that purpose is. And that's just like us. We don't know God's purposes. We can't know God's purposes. But yet so many times we look at God and say, why haven't you responded yet? Why aren't you doing this? Any of you with kids, you've seen your kids challenge your decisions. You've seen them challenge different ideas. And mostly when they don't have all the facts. And you're like, man, if you only knew... If you only knew, you wouldn't be asking that. You wouldn't be challenging that. And that's what His disciples are doing and that's what we often do. But then the plan. Looking at verse 32, 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. Spilled the whole story, her testimony, and this is what had happened, and this is what I did, and this is what you did. And he, being Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Huge statement. We could break apart just that statement in in one Sunday. It's worth taking some time for you to to do some more study. But think about every word there. Daughter, first word. 
and we see the compassion just flowing out. It's a term of endearment. What would that mean to a woman that was without family for 12 years, without any meaningful personal contact, to have Jesus come and say, daughter, It's not just a simple address like hello. It's a statement that says I accept you and I love you and you are mine. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Not some magic thing. Not some robe. Your faith in Jesus Christ has made you well. And then the next phrase, where faith leads, go in peace. Go in peace. See, a faith in an all-powerful God that is compassionate leads to peace. It always leads to peace. And we need to understand peace as, as a sense that God, or a belief that God is in control whether I see it or not. Doesn't mean you're out of the situation Peace can come in the middle of situation when we finally give up and say, yes, I'm helpless, but someone who isn't is in charge and I trust him completely. And peace comes. Last year I climbed Whitney with some of the guys here and it was a pretty challenging climb. And I remember on the way down, just got into a a state where it was hard to see and it was the middle of the night and we had gone all night without sleep and there was a little bit of delirium setting in, didn't know where I was. Patrick was with me, and I remember thinking we still had another couple hours to get to camp. And we turn a corner, and one of the other guys in our party came and said, we are here. And we weren't all the way down, but he had come up the trail. He put his arm around me and said, let me help. Took my pack. And at that moment, there was peace. Not because I was off the trail, not because I was out of the trial, but because I could just relax and it was taken care of. That's how we should be with Jesus Christ, with God our Father. When we go through anything, even when we're in the middle of it, even when we don't see a way that it will end, the God of all power and the God of all compassion has his arm around us and says, I've got it from here. And Jesus points the woman out and says, I've got it from here. You're my daughter. You're healed. Why did Jesus point her out? Some might say, well, wasn't that just rude? Couldn't he have just let her go off? Actually, I think it was compassionate to point her out. Number one, he needed to correct her understanding of faith and bring her into an understanding of who he is and what actually healed her. But number two, he was removing a public stigma He was helping her re-enter normal life. It was restoration. Because in this kind of an issue, an issue of blood, you just didn't talk about it. And so he was saying in front of everyone, you are healed, you are clean. And it was restoration. See, we see his power. If you look at the chart again, his power was he healed the impossible. Something man couldn't do for 12 years. His compassion... I would argue he shows compassion to both the woman and the disciples here. The disciples because he doesn't strike them dead and teaches them. 
and the woman by restoring her, encouraging her, calling her daughter. See that side of Jesus. See that side. And we get to the rest of the passage. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, so he's having this conversation with the woman. If you're Jairus, how are you feeling right now? My daughter is dying and you're stopping to have a chat? While he was still speaking with the woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And the ship just sank. And the despair just set in. She's dead. It took too long. Mission failed. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, see, the mission isn't done. Jesus delayed so that the mission would be better. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And he comes back to faith, and it's an issue of faith. And he says, don't despair, I am still here. The, yes, the task looks a little more, bit more impossible. Resurrection is a little different from healing. But with God, it isn't. And so he uses the delay intentionally, I would argue, to show his glory and to show his power in a, in a completely different way. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, probably hired people to to mourn correctly. And, and, And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And this is the one case that Jesus did not act with with compassion, but with truth, as he usually did with the Pharisees, with hypocrites. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And picture this. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. It's time to wake up. Get up. And immediately, the power. The girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. I'm not sure what that has to do with her walking around, but um, just a description. And they were immediately overcome with amazement because they saw Jesus work in a way not like they were asking, but incredibly greater than what they were asking. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. Again, he's back in Jewish country. He doesn't, he's not interested in creating celebrity followers. He's interested in creating disciples. But then catch this ending point because again we have power and compassion and told them to give her something to eat. In the middle of a resurrection, he notices her need. He notices what she needs and says, let's give her some food. She's hungry. Let's care about her. And we see a compassionate, powerful Savior. 
the power of resurrection. Resurrection, the impossible, giving confidence for us when we die that we will be resurrected because that same God that resurrected this little girl is the God that says, you will be with me in eternity if you know me. Looks ahead to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we see His power, but we also see His compassion. Encouragement to the Father, don't fear. Let's go. Taking the girl by the hand, a touch, even though she's, a de- she's dead and unclean. But the unclean never affected Jesus. Jesus always affected the unclean. And how He addresses her, little girl, I say to you, arise and give her something to eat. Two incredible stories. One incredible message. What do we learn from this? What do we take from both stories? The first is that God is, has absolute power over our bodies. He has absolute power over our bodies, just like we talked about with our circumstances. And He can use sickness and death as much as health. Don't come away from this thinking everyone is healed. Not everyone that touched Jesus was healed. Not everyone that Jesus encountered was healed. In fact, probably a small percentage. But God will use death. He will use sickness. He will use health for His purposes if we will let Him. There was sickness throughout the team in Guatemala. I guarantee God used that for His purposes. It wasn't a mistake. It it was Satan trying to stop the team, but God used it. For his purposes. Secondly, compassion. Both stories show the power of God. Both stories show the compassion of God. You are cared for to care for. And catch this. You are cared for to care for. It's great to come and be encouraged that God cares for us even when we don't see Him. Even when we don't feel His presence. Even when we think He's delaying. But there's a responsibility with that to then care for others. To then follow that example. I think that's why the stories are put together with a social outcast and someone that's high on the social scale. Because Jesus is showing it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what their issues are. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter whether they're the most powerful or the most lowly. I care and have compassion on them. And I'm challenged to make sure we don't parcel, parcel out our compassion to who we will, to who we think deserve it. Because that would be a violation of the example of Christ. He says, care and be compassionate. One was accepted, one was rejected, but both were accepted by Christ. Last two things in both stories. The power and compassion lead to faith. And I already mentioned this. But we should anticipate God's hand in faith. Do not fear, only believe. In both stories, faith was the key. Faith steps out. It trusts God. It puts feet into the Jordan to see what God will do. It believes that Jesus is sufficient for any need. Have faith. And lastly, we see God's sovereignty. When you go to Jesus for help, 
you often get far more than you had in mind. The woman thought she was going in secret and could just sneak off and be healed. But God did something greater. Jairus said, I just need a healing. My daughter's sick. And God did something greater. Both were uncomfortable. Both led to probably more feelings of despair at first. But both led to a deeper faith. Because God did more. His purposes, His way, His timing, His glory are a privilege to be used to be part of that. Dear Lord God, our Father, thank You for Your sacrifice, for Your power, for Your compassion, because without both, we couldn't have faith. Lord, expand our thoughts and our minds and our concept of who You are. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your power. Thank you for your work on the cross. In Jesus' name.